Well, welcome this morning. My name is Nat. I'm the lead pastor here at Forest View, uh, and uh, excited to be able to share and to work through um, our series this morning. For those of you who have been tracking with us since January, we have been doing a series on practicing God's presence. And throughout this series, as I've been prepping and researching and reading and watching, uh, I've been going and exploring the, the voices of different uh, people who have, who have lived these deep, uh, intimate relationships with God. And so looking at these kind of these gurus uh, of Christians throughout history who have practiced the presence of God made that uh, an important part of their life. And the interesting thing uh, that I've discovered, or, or one of the things I should say, is that my experience has been, and as I'm reading their books, and as I'm reading interviews, or watching, listening to interviews with them, and, uh, and one of the things that I sometimes find myself wondering is like, just how out there they seem, how far removed they feel from my life. It's, I want to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. I want to live with a daily awareness of God's presence, and yet, sometimes I, I listen to these people, and I'm like, do we need to like sell everything and move out to the country and like try and grow vegetables or whatever. There, there's this one particular person who has uh, grabbed a bit of my attention. His name is John Butler. And John Butler is a, uh, he's a writer, writes a lot about practicing God's presence. He runs a retreat center and uh, just a fascinating, interesting man. Also, if you ever want to go and search his videos, if you have trouble sleeping, um, his videos are great things to watch. He's just so calm and tranquil and speaks with just this confidence, but like gentle slowness. And, uh, and so I, I watch his stuff. Sometimes I'll watch some of his stuff. I've read some of his stuff and I think, man, it's just, he seems so far removed from my life and from my experience. I just, like, this seems like a totally different person than I could ever be. And I was watching this interview with him, and I just, this moment happened, and I was like, oh, I just need to share this with people, because I think for many of us, we feel like this kind of practicing of God's presence is out of reach for us normal people. Uh, and yet, uh, then this question came up in this interview. I want to run this clip for you. Just to set it up real quick, this is, uh, uh, he's being interviewed. His name is John Butler, and uh, you'll, you'll see him. He's got this big Santa Claus beard, and uh, he's been talking about his daily routine and, and what it means for him to practice the presence of God, and he's just started talking about how he knows he needs to get outside every day. So here's the clip. Let me just show it with you. It's about a minute long. You might need to raise your volume because he talks very quietly. Yes, I, I find that most valuable for a get out for a couple of hours if possible. And fortunately, it's only a few minutes out of this little town where I, we live to get out in the country. I'm among, among sheep and green fields there, which, which always brings me back to where I feel I belong. Um, yes, I've always feel, felt that uh, the Mother Earth is the way back to sanity. Not Netflix. Oh, I, I do enjoy. I, I often watch something. I've got one or two favourite things that I like to look at. <laughs> Usually, nice, nice things. Of, there's one nice thing I watch on with horses and young people, always falling in and out of love. At the horses and lovely countryside keep me going. <laughs> it's sweet and harmless. I just love his response. The, the interviewer asked him, so no Netflix? And he's like, well, no, I have a couple shows I like. You just see this glow on his face, this smile, as he begins to describe the show that he loves to watch. And so 
just simply, if you're, if you're one of those people, it's like, it's been a long, difficult week, and you're like, oh, end of the day, you're putting something on or whatever, just know that that does not disqualify you from practicing the presence of God. Uh, a quick, quick review of what it actually means for us to practice God's presence. I want to walk through this. If you, if you want this in more depth, go back a few weeks ago as we talked about this um, in, our, in our first, uh, first one, um, segment of the series, but wanted to walk you through that. So to practice the God's, or practicing God's presence, number one, it begins with us fixing our attention on God. It is setting aside essential, or it is setting aside time to connect with God, to, to focus our minds on God, to fix our minds on God. And then out of that, the habits of your mind, the way that you think, will gradually begin to change. Where suddenly it's not gonna have to just be some intentional thing where you're thinking about God. It becomes natural to who you are and how you live and how you think. And next will come uh, in number three is God will become always present to your attention because we see and we hear the things that we are looking for. And so as we fix our minds, our attention on God, and as we allow that behavior, that habit to change and transform the way that we think and the way that we see the world, suddenly we will see things differently and we will be more attuned and more aware of God's presence, which, which leads to number four, which is this, that, that as we do that, you will begin to perceive God's presence. You will see his work in the world. You will hear his voice in your life. You will have a deeper awareness of what God is up to. Brother Lawrence, who uh, this famous Christian mystic, well-known for his book of letters called Practicing the Presence of God, he simply puts it this way. He says, I no longer believe, I see. And now he's not saying that Christians do not have to have faith. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that for him, it is not just some abstract idea that God is present and real and at work in this world. Rather, he sees it because he has trained his mind and his heart to see it. This morning, I want to talk about practicing God's presence in gratitude. Uh, and uh, first off, I want to tell you about a story I had a number or a story or an experience that I had a number of years ago uh, as a university student. I remember having a conversation. I was at a party talking with some people, and this one woman, she began to share about this experience she'd had. She'd climbed a mountain. And this woman, she, she had this amazing experience climbing up this mountain, and she got to the top, and she looked out at this beautiful view as she approached the summit, and she just looks over the, the trails, the, all the things that she's, the, the view that she can see, and she shared that she had this experience where she just felt this drive within her, this urge inside her soul, inside her heart to say thank you to someone. Now, this woman, no spiritual beliefs whatsoever, generally kind of an atheist, thinks that this world, all there is, it's just material. And yet, for whatever reason, as she experienced this literal mountaintop experience, it inspired with her a desire to say thank you. I think that many of us, in fact, I think that just all human beings, we have these moments in our lives where we have this urge, this drive, this welling up within our soul and our spirit 
to cry out thank you. And maybe it's seeing a beautiful sunset. Maybe it's experiencing an incredible work of art. Maybe it's, it's an experience in your life. Maybe it's the birth of a child, or maybe you're a brand new aunt or uncle, and you just, you just see this baby, and you are just overwhelmed with love and joy. Maybe it's an embrace of a friend Whatever it is, there are these moments where it's not just simply about that thing, but there's this drive within us to say thank you. It's almost as if God is very, very present to us. And in his presence, there is this moment of bliss and grace that just inspires within us a need to respond by saying thank you. Now, it is fascinating to me when it comes to the topic of saying thank you. We've got two children at home, my wife and I, uh, we've got two kids, and, and we've walked through the stages, and we still are in many ways, of walking through the stage of teaching our children to remember to say thank you. In fact, I can actually remember experiences with, with one of our children where we've said, hey, make sure you say thank you, and like they're like, no, and they're not saying it. And so we have to have this like standoff moment with our kid, no, say thank you. No, you need to say thank you. Say thank you. And they're just not saying it. There are these moments that we have where saying thank you, and you're just like, why does this have to be such a big deal? It's so easy just to say these two words, to say thank you. It is easy to say the word thank you. It is a whole lot more difficult to mean it. And yet as Christians, we are constantly called to respond to God with thanks. And not just simply in being reactive to those moments where we feel this urge within us, this need to say thank you, but, but throughout the rest of our lives. Jesus, who shares this intimate relationship with his Father, this, this perfect union of divine and human. He is the perfect model for what it means to be a human. And, we, and, and I, and, and I believe everyone here at Forest View, our, our longing is that the same relationship that God sh- or Jesus shares with his Father is a relationship that we have been invited into to know and to experience. And Jesus, throughout his ministry, right, the, the, the eternal Son, begotten, not made of the Father, okay? This is, this is, this is God in human flesh, Even he continuously gives thanks to God. Just a few quick passages. Matthew chapter 15. Here, Jesus says, Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and he turned to the people. Notice, given thanks. Next slide, we can go on to another verse real quick. Just rapid fire. John 6. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord, Jesus, had given thanks. Next slide. This is Jesus upon healing, or just as he's about to heal his good friend Lazarus. This is his response. He's heartbroken that his friend has died. He's going to raise him back to life. He says this, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus is constantly responding to his father with Thankfulness. One more, Mark chapter 14. This is taking Jesus as he is serving the communion meal to his disciples. And he talks about him once again giving thanks. This meal that we are going to participate in later today. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he shared it with them. And they all drank from it. 
If Jesus gives thanks in all that he does to his Father, how much more significant is that something that we are called to do as followers of Jesus? The Apostle Paul, writing to the first Christians, all throughout his life, all throughout his letters are calls, invitations to practice thankfulness. He, he wants to be a defining feature about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Notice Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, he says this, and we could go all day. We could just work our way through all of his letters and find thank you, thank you, thank you over and over again, but I think this one is really helpful. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel says this, this amazing quote. He's a rabbi, but he, uh, and so not a Christian, Jewish, but I think he grabs on to what it means to live a heart of thankfulness and how that needs to be at the very source of who we are as followers of Jesus. Only one response can maintain us. Gratefulness for the gift of our unearned chance to serve, to wonder, to love life and each other. It is gratefulness which makes our souls great. It just got cut off at the bottom. It is, let me read that one more time, just that last part. It is gratefulness which makes our souls great. This morning, I want to talk about gift. Now, for many of us, uh, gifts are something, we live in a consumer-driven culture, and so for many of us, gifts is something that you're supposed to go out and give. There's an obligation to go out and give it. And maybe you have had these different moments in your life, uh, actually, just to go back to those moments where you just feel this urge to say thank you. And there's this question that comes up sometimes for us, which is simply, what did I do to deserve this? Maybe you're a parent and you look at your children, or maybe you're a grandparent, you look at your grandkids, or, or maybe you're an aunt or an uncle or just a friend who is present in someone's life, and you see these children and their love and their smile and the joy that they bring into your life, and it just stirs up within you, like, what did I do to deserve this? Maybe it's an incredible friendship. And just as you're seeing and experiencing a, a meaningful conversation or just, just their presence in your life, it just, what did I do to deserve this? There are these moments and experiences that we all have where we ask ourselves that question. And at the very heart of gift, because in our culture that's driven by consumerism, and for many of us, we are affluent, and so giving gifts is something that has essentially become expected, whether it's a birthday or Christmas or whatever else it might be. But at the very heart of gifts, a real gift, when you ask, what did I do to deserve this? The answer is always nothing. Because the moment that you earn a gift, the moment that you deserve a gift, it ceases to become a gift, and it becomes a payment. It becomes getting something that you deserve. At the very heart of what it means to receive a gift is it's something that you don't earn and that you don't deserve. I want to read a passage, a quick part of Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at it a little more in depth in a second, uh, or in a couple seconds. But, uh, but I want to start here 
Because for the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this letter to the first Christians and he's addressing the conflict and division that they are experiencing, he is bringing them back, trying to bring them to a level, uh, essentially thinking field for all of them to be working from, some, some prime understandings. And he says this in Romans chapter one, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that, people, uh, so that people are without excuse. Now, for many of us, we, we often have looked at this passage and we take this as being uh, some sort of looking at creation as evidence for God's existence. And while there's aspects of that here, the, the deeper thing that Paul is driving at is for people to understand that creation is a gift. And that the goal of creation is never creation itself, but is rather to point us back to the God who created it. Because a, a gift, it always flows out of the heart of the giver. The purpose of the gift is always to unite the heart of the giver with the heart of the recipient. A gift is never meant to weld power or to manipulate. A gift is always meant to bring unity between the one who is giving the gift and the one who is receiving it. Gifts are never just about the gift. They always point beyond themselves to the relationship between the two parties involved. And so Paul here in Romans chapter 1, he is drawing our attention. He's drawing the first listeners, and he's drawing us today to, to see creation as a gift. It is not the point. It is not the end of itself. But rather, those moments of thank you are meant to inspire within us an awakening to the presence of God in our lives and the love that he has for each one of us. Over the last number of years uh, in, in our culture, the... the uh, the topic of gratitude has become very, very popular. And if so, if you check out a bunch of different mindfulness resources, you will find all sorts of great things that talk about the value, the, the, specifically the mental health benefits of practicing gratitude. And so you have people who have gratitude journals. They will begin or end their day writing out the things that they are thankful for. And it doesn't matter who you express that thankfulness to. The point of doing that exercise is because it ultimately brings you to a place where you will love the things that you have and you will love your life more and more. Now, I want to celebrate the incredible work. I mean, mental health is a great and important thing. But I can't help but think that they are missing out. If, if simply practicing gratitude and thankfulness is for the sake of just for you living a happy, generally happier life, I can't help but compare it to the, the various different medical studies that have been done to, to show that if you get married, it increases your health benefits, your, like, your life expectancy. So various Harvard Medical Journal uh, published a, a paper, a research paper a number of years ago, a study looking at the health of married people. And for whatever reason, it would, it would appear that married people had a longer, generally a longer life expectancy than those who were single. Now, there's all kinds of interesting things that have happened. And even over the last 10 years, we are seeing that gap between marrieds and singles getting smaller and smaller. 
But I couldn't help but thinking about this study as I hear about people who practice gratitude but don't have anyone to or are not expressing that gratitude towards God. And I can't help but think this is like someone, a guy proposing to his, his partner, his girlfriend, and saying, uh, you know, I want you to, will you marry me? Because I want to increase my life expectancy. I mean, what girl could turn that down? And yet the very heart of it is that the reason why we have these experiences of this welling up, of this need to say thank you, is because God is trying to get our attention. He doesn't just want us to be mentally healthy, although he wants that and desires that for us, but he wants us to have an intimate, connected relationship with him. And these moments... As we begin to practice God's presence and focus our attention on him, they don't simply happen in those reactive mountaintop type of experiences. But, but as we continuously throughout our life practice an awareness of God's presence, as we, we focus our minds on him and we say thank you, thank you, thank you over and over again, we'll discover that God is not simply or present to us and that gratitude is not just something that happens when we focus on those great, amazing moments, but is also something we can experience in the mundane and in the simple. And that like Jesus, as we say thank you over and over again, it begins to just be this expression of the intimate relationship that we each share with God. In the midst of the mundane, as we practice saying thank you, Thank you is not just something that we say, but it begins to become something that we see. It becomes the way that we live and look at our world. And it's not just simply us waiting for God to wow us, but rather for looking at all the ways God is right there wowing us in the moment. Now, one of the challenges that we have to gratitude is not, uh, is not just simply waiting for it, uh, but I, I would say it's entitlement, which, which so often gets in the way of experiencing God's presence. Let's return to Romans chapter 1, uh, and we're going to back it up a little bit to verse 18 and then continue reading through the verse that we just looked at. Here Paul writes, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And then just to finish off, it says, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator 
who is forever praised. Amen. Instead of seeing the gift as pointing to the relationship with God, they began to worship the gift. They elevated it. And out of that flows this sense of entitlement, that they deserve something, that they've earned something, that they can express themselves however they want. It's interesting, earlier on I spoke about the question, what did I do to deserve this? And I've seen so many people come to faith through this question, through those amazing experiences where God grabs a hold of their heart and they just, God's grace becomes real and significant. They receive the gift of salvation that comes. But then there are some who, when they look at the circumstances of their life, they find themselves asking that, what did I do to deserve this? And it pushes them away from God. For some, it's a miscarriage or struggles with infertility. For some, it's, it's singleness or loneliness. For others, it's the loss of a loved one or a, or a friendship or a, or a marriage relationship or, or people close to them who have a marriage that falls apart. For some, it is the experience of pain, of fear, of rejection. Maybe it's a diagnosis. It is facing the reality of death. And we ask that question, what did I do to deserve this? And those are terrible, horrible things to walk through and experience. And our heart breaks for those who have to go through that. But at the very part of it all is that we realize that all of life is a gift. That, that nothing is deserved or earned. And I would argue that the just as dangerous as thinking that we somehow deserve the gift of life, it is equally as dangerous to assume the, or to walk and live with the assumption that the bad things that happen to us are something that come to us because we deserve them, because of something that we did. In the same way, it is just as wrong to assume that if we didn't do anything wrong, which, is, uh, which quite frankly is not true, we all mess up, we all have made mistakes, but, but none of us deserve that. Paul, in his writing, seems undeterred as he navigates the various different challenges and hardships that he experiences in life. He writes this to the first Thess the, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 to 18. He says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to differentiate. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances versus for all circumstances. For, for some of us, we are tempted to, to blame or to, to, that we are somehow obligated when we see the pain, suffering that is happening in our lives and in our world that we somehow need to try and muster up. Well, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this cancer. Thank you for, and that is so far away from God's heart. I've heard various different religious leaders and, and well-meaning Christians who will often justify things that I think God is going, no, I don't want you to justify that. I can't help 
But, uh, but I sometimes imagine um, kind of like at, I remember award shows. Do you remember those? They used to be a thing that would happen on television. Usually annually, they would get a bunch of celebrities together in a room and give them an award, just for those of you who've forgotten, because it seems like such a long time ago. And uh, the, this thing has kind of changed as we live in a more and more post-Christian society. But I remember in my, when I was younger, seeing various different celebrities who have, who have had no, as far as we can tell, at least from their lyrical content or their lifestyle, no relationship with God whatsoever. And yet, so many of them would get up there, they'd win their award, and they'd say, first off, I want to thank God. And I couldn't help but imagine if God was there, uh, sitting in the audience, like kind of ducking down, like, oh, don't, don't, give me, don't give me thanks for this one. Don't give me credit for this one. And I think that that is true sometimes when we look at the suffering and pain in our world. It breaks God's heart. The injustice enrages God's heart. It angers him. The last thing he wants is us going, hey, God, thanks for uh, systemic racism. Thank you for child abuse. No, of course not. No, we, we would never think to say that. Those things are so far away from God's heart. Instead, we continue to thank God for his presence in our lives and in our world. We continue to thank God because he has promised that never will he leave us or forsake us. And so maybe for you, if you are walking through a difficult and painful time, number one, you need to create space to lament, to voice and express, to be honest with God about the frustrations and the the things that you're seeing that enrage or that anger you or just, this doesn't seem right. Because when we're honest with God about the challenges that we are facing and seeing, it opens us up to also to be able to to be honest and to honestly say, thank you. Life is a gift meant to direct our hearts to God. And in all circumstances, we can pray and focus on gratitude and saying thank you, not because of our circumstances, but for some of us, it means a zooming out. Maybe the, the, the only thing that you can say, God, thank you today for the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Maybe that's all you can honestly say. And first off, that is more than enough. I believe if you start there, you will find that God will open up your heart to say thank you for all sorts of other things. Maybe it's you're walking through something difficult and painful, and yet that God is at work in the lives of people around you, reassuring you of his presence and his care and love for you, and you can come to him with thankfulness. We can give thanks in all circumstances. We do not have to give thanks for all circumstances. I want to conclude with this clip that I think captures the joy that comes as we live lives of thankfulness. It's from a movie called Comedian. It came out in 2002. It's a documentary about Jerry Seinfeld. Some of you are probably familiar with him. He was a famous comedian, uh, famous for his sitcom television show Seinfeld. And uh, this was like, with documentaries made, it's essentially the height of his career, the number one TV show in America. Like he's just, he is just doing really well. And there's this amazing scene where he's having a conversation with a young comic, kind of just starting out, 29 years old, just getting going in the business. And so this comedian's name is Orny Adams. 
And so he's coming to Seinfeld and he's talking to him about the challenges that he's facing working in the industry. And so wanted to share this clip with you. And it's just like you get to a point, you're like, how much longer can I take it? What, 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 is time running out? You out of time? I'm getting older. Please. <laughs> interaction between the two. Because for the one, it's a sense of entitlement. You put in the work. You deserve to get the recognition and the money and, the, and, and all the things that come with that. And Seinfeld's just response as he's saying all these things about, what about your parents? And what about all the... And, and, and Seinfeld's just like, what? Because this was never about that. This isn't about having a cushy life. This is about being a part of something special. I love Seinfeld's response. Are you out of your mind? Look what we get to do. Seinfeld is talking about comedy and showbiz. But how much more true is that about living life in the presence of God? A God who has saved us and redeemed us through his son, Jesus Christ. A God who through his spirit empowers us to go and do his important work in the world. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult at times. And yet there is nothing better. And so we get to say thank you over and over and over again. Because even in the most difficult circumstances, it's all a gift. Meant to bring unity, 
between our hearts and the giver of that gift, God. My hope and my prayer for us, both individually and corporately as a church, that we would be a people who push aside entitlement and who embrace a perspective of thankfulness directed to God in all that we do and in the midst of all circumstances.